0: Yeah, I lost a lot, uh, alone in a city that wasn't home, still hoping that things would turn out differently. It was a pretty radical time in my face. Failing. 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 We talk
1: about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some
0: battles you feel like you win. It's
1: tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. To your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, uh, today I have my friend, Siobhan Taylor, who is the president and CEO of DePaul Cristo Rey High School. She is a spiritual model for me and an inspiration, and I'm really stoked that she's on here today. And I cannot wait to talk about... Uh, some uh, some good things on this so welcome
0: thanks so much for having me on sarah it's exciting to be with you in this capacity
1: even though it's remote even <laughs> though it's virtual we're, we're still still connected that's right that's right okay siobhan give us some background where you grew up siblings where you fall all that jazz
0: I am a born and raised Cincinnati and I grew up uh, in Mount healthy went to a little Catholic school on that side of town called assumption. Uh, and then on my eighth grade graduation, my parents decided to take a huge step and move our family out to the outskirts of Mason. This was decades ago. So at the time we moved out there, it was all sheep and horses and cows. It was all farmland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as you know, it's, it's definitely morphed in the last 20 some odd years. So, uh, yeah, Cincinnati and through and through. Okay, college, where'd you go? College, I went to my- Undergrad and graduate school. Undergrad, I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, uh, studied anthropology and political science, and then um, went off to the University of Michigan to study social work and social policy, and then came back to Cincinnati and did some additional studies at the University of Cincinnati College of Law. Okay. I forgot this. Were you thinking about becoming a lawyer? I was. That was my entire focus in life <laughs> was to become a lawyer and eventually a That's judge. right. How could I forget about this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then why, why, why the change? The change shifted for me significantly after realizing that I really wanted to make a, a, a tangible impact in someone's life and particularly children. Um, I was good at what we were doing in law school. I had really great opportunities lined up after graduation to work for some major law firms. But I decided, you know, at the end of my second year that I really needed to focus on what would make my heart sing. And Mm -hmm. for a long period of time, it had always been youth and families. And while there were opportunities, I think, to do that in law, it would look a little bit it looked a little differently um, in order to be more tangibly involved with youth and families. So I kind of just defaulted back to my deep passion and spent a year in AmeriCorps as a college readiness coordinator um, at a local Montessori high school. And that really began my 11, 12 year experience in education.
1: To where it is, well, you worked other places too, but to then this role. Siobhan, tell me about, you have a brother, right? I've got two
0: brothers, they're twins. Two brothers, <laughs> okay. Two brothers, older or younger. They are younger um, and they do not live in Cincinnati. One lives in Florida and the other one lives abroad uh, in Italy. So they are far, but far away, um, but definitely still dear and dear and close to my heart. And parents,
1: parents still together. Tell me about them.
0: My parents have been happily married for 40 years, Um, still reside in Mason. Um, My mom was a stay-at-home mom for the most part of uh, my life. My dad worked really hard, had a really great career at the University of Cincinnati uh, as a psychology professor and did a lot of community work as well when he wasn't teaching. So he's been a busy man and he really helped me understand more about the educational arena, um, while my mom helped me understand the the importance of nurturing and uh, engaging with people on different levels.
1: Oh, that's interesting that you went down the education. I didn't know that that's what he did. Yeah. That's really interesting.
0: <laughs> it is interesting. And what's really funny, he'll probably kill me for saying this, but he always said, don't go to education. <laughs> don't go to education. <laughs> but here I am. Well, but here you
1: are. So, uh when you decided to switch out of law. I mean, that's kind of a big move, especially when you thought you were going to do that
0: for majority of your life.
1: Yeah. Was, what was that like?
0: It was initially really scary. And I'll I'll be I'll be frank. What perpetuated that was I had found myself really struggling with my mental health in law school. I fell into a deep depression. I was anxious a lot of the time because there was this internal conflict and tension between what I was very passionate about, but what I was good about and what I knew would bring me economic and financial success. But simultaneously, Mm -hmm. um, would fill a need and avoid uh, in here in Cincinnati in terms of the legal community. And so I think for me, after I kind of plunged into a deep depression, developed a really, really severe eating disorder that took years to overcome. Um, It made sense that uh, law wasn't uh, wasn't going to feed uh, feed the passion and keep me moving um, towards what I ultimately knew I needed to do, which was to serve children and their families.
1: I think you probably know the answer to this, but do you, do you find people that aren't in alignment with, you know, kind of like their best self that things like that pop up? What would you teach? What do you teach kids? Like if you see that with one of the kids, like, do you recognize it? Can you
0: see it? I do. We often have kids that will come uh, to their teachers or even to me just recently and say, you know, Ms. Taylor, I really want to do X, Y, and Z for a career, but everyone's telling me I should do something else because it's important for me to be able to take care of myself, or it's not a prestigious uh, position or, or, or job. And I always have to tell those kids, follow your passion, follow what makes your heart sing. And eventually over time, that slow work of God will move you to a place where you'll be able to live out your passion so vibrantly and, um, so well that the compensation will come. It's hard to see that when you're first starting out, you know, as an AmeriCorps volunteer, I was making $1,200 a month. It was tough, you know, um, moving back in with my parents, but I think that the, the long-term payoff of that, that sacrifice, if you can make that, Not everyone can, but if you can do that, it's well worth it. Yeah.
1: All right. So you and I briefly talked about some topics that we wanted to go over tonight. So now I'm going to open it up to you. Go for it. So let's talk about this faith piece. Why it's so important and how it relates back to failing forward not just failing but yeah forward
0: yeah i think that faith piece um it's so important to failing forward because i think every believer goes through periods of doubt where they wonder is god with them is god on their side does god really love me in the midst of the trials and tribulations that they may be going through or they may see others going through or even just recognize that the world's going through. And I think at times that can lead people to walk away from the faith. I think the the world that we live in right now is full of so much tension and animosity and and challenge that it's easy for what's happening in the world to feed our doubt. And I think when we're believers and we allow the world to feed that doubt, it becomes easy to fail, uh, to fail in our faith and to choose to exit the system. And I say this not because I'm just pontificating or sharing with you what I think I've seen. I've lived it. And I've lived it recently, you know, struggling to make sense of everything that's happened to us in this world over the last three to four years, particularly with the pandemic and how it's impacted education, how it's impacted people's mental health and financial stability. Um, Right. Yeah, faith and how we see that. And the doubt that comes into play is healthy, I think, as we form our faith. But it becomes a challenge when we allow our doubts to move us away from the faith entirely.
1: It was interesting. You said, move you away from the system. What does system mean to you?
0: I think systems in general, when it comes to faith and religion, typically we look at it from a church standpoint. So the church is the embodiment of our faith in a lot of ways from a a system standpoint. So we go to church and church normalizes our behavior. It sets customs and traditions, ways that we interact, uh, different things that we celebrate on the calendar. However, While that is an organizing facet to our life, we've also seen over the course of this pandemic that the nature of churches changed with doors closing, with ministries not being able to be open for various reasons, whether it's that they've had to close their doors because they didn't have the financial ability to remain open, or it was simply because the pandemic uh, didn't allow them to have six feet or three feet of distance between parishioners we've seen the nature of church change. We've seen lots of people move towards online platforms of communicating messages. We've seen small groups become Zoom groups as well. Mm -hmm, Uh, So there's mm -hmm. a lot that's changing in the system and that can both support and take away from our faith. You know, the word tells us very clearly that we're supposed to operate in community with one another and to not have tangible community that you're a part of, particularly through a faith standpoint can lead to increased doubt. It can lead to people falling away from the faith, feeling isolated, and for the church um, to struggle in doing what it's really called to do, which is to lift and love other people.
1: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I I think of one of my, like a, a church for me is AA. So I might not do organized religion anymore, but going to an AA meeting is like going to church for me. And for a lot of people in the 12-step program, it is. And when COVID happened, it was all Zoom, right? And since then, small groups are popping up again, which is how it started at the beginning, which is also how Catholicism, Christianity, or whatever you want to call started in the beginning, right? Small groups of people. And there's there's some benefit to that as well, right? Because then we're not stuck in the hierarchy and the bureaucratic BS that, frankly, I'm not a big fan of anymore. <laughs> and I right. grew up Catholic. And so, you know, um, and I just, I keep thinking like, okay, yes, people are pulling away, but how do we pull people back into t- your point around community and, and the small group piece? I think it's really interesting.
0: I think that community question is the big question, not just for church, but for every organization on the face of the planet right now. It's yes. this idea of how, yes. how do we love people better? How do we love people well? And love has so many different layers to it. Love looks differently in a variety of contexts. Um, but even as I think about being an employer and the intersection of faith and work in our environment as a Catholic Christian school, what does it mean to love? You know, Jesus gave us two very clear commandments when he was here, which was to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so I think we live in a time right now where we all need that community. We need to feel like we're a part of something, that we belong, that we matter, that we're seen and valued and heard. And yes. so how do we how do we love people in a way that brings that about? And it's different for every person. It's different for every organization. It's different for every church. But what does love look like? Um, And if we as believers are able to really demonstrate the love of Christ to people, it is my hope. And ultimately, what I think we want to see is that people will start to understand the love of of Christ and develop a relationship with him. That is almost the doorway into faith. in a doorway into having relationship with the most intimate one.
1: I was going to ask you, what does love look like? But then you answered it
0: <laughs> right um, ahead of you, Sarah.
1: I know you are. That was so good. So with you and cause I, I your faith is amazing. You want to share some stories of doubts for you and then resiliency. Cause you've got some goodies.
0: Yeah, so I would say the last four years of my life have been pretty transformational in my faith, um, and there have been many periods of significant doubt. In March of 2019, I was uh, diagnosed with neurological Lyme disease, and um, had learned that I had contracted Lyme disease two years prior uh, after attending a spiritual retreat um, and being bit by a tick. I had no idea that I had developed Lyme until the symptoms had become so, that was not the retreat that you and I went on, was it? It actually was, Sarah. Surprisingly, it was that retreat. Didn't know, wouldn't have not known. You know, African-American people don't typically, wow. are typically able to see that bullseye rash. And not everyone gets a bullseye rash once they've been bit by a tick. But after being diagnosed with neurological Lyme, I struggled to, to read and to comprehend and to walk and really had to um, leave my job for a period of time. I didn't think for a very long time that I would ever work at the level that I'm working now. My hope and my, my prayer was that I would just be able to get a, a really simple job that allowed me to earn something, to feel like I had some work and some worth in the workforce um, and didn't have to be labeled as disabled for the rest of my life. And during that period of Of trying to work through why did I have Lyme? What was God trying to teach me in that? What did I do? Is he correcting behavior? Is he disciplining me? You know, all of those different things that we quickly think through and sometimes assume when things in our life don't go the way that we had planned. You know, I think what I've learned is that the way that I initially had looked at God was I was looking at him the way that I was looking at my relationship with various earthly fathers. That I had had in my life, you know. Um, my dad is a great, great guy, wonderful, wonderful man. Um, but sometimes in, in life, we can put on God what our experience of humans is, and that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Instead of using God to be what we, the lens in which we 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 view one another. So, in terms of faith, just going through that Lyme journey, really being disabled for eighteen months was. Was really difficult.
1: Long time,
0: really difficult. That's a long time. Yeah, it's a really long time. And when I think about just treatment itself, and during treatment was traumatic. You know, being on 26 supplements and medications on a daily basis, um, taking medication that makes you sicker before it makes you better. I'm having to endure. Were you living here or were you in Columbus then? I was in Columbus. Yeah, I just wrapped up and left a job as a high school uh, principal and realized at that point, I, I, I can't continue this work because I'm not well enough to do it.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay, so back to it. So yeah, it was, it's kind of like you—you went through the grieving phase. You were grieving.
0: Yeah, I lost a lot and trying to make sense of what that meant. Uh, alone in the city, in a city that wasn't home, uh, but still hoping that things would turn out differently. Um, pretty, it was a pretty radical time in my in my faith, and I had two options. And I remember a good mentor said to me, she said, "You can either choose to look at this as." the end of your life, or you can choose to find out what God is trying to show you in it and allow him to lead you to wherever he's going to lead you, whether that's where you wanna go or whether it's not, but trusting that he is and he knows what is best for you. And I just remember using that time just to try to develop a deeper relationship with him. Um, I would lay in bed, sick, couldn't do anything, but I would just listen to sermon after sermon, or I to the Bible app, um, just read scripture to me. That's how I started to learn scripture more and more. He would tuck it away in my heart um, mm-hmm. so that I could later recall it, whether that was, you know, an evening on the bathroom floor when I'm in a lot of pain or whether that was just a good day where i was standing in the kitchen, and I can make breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, that was a dark season and it was a season of doubt and hope.
1: Okay. So what kept you from moving back to Cincinnati where your parents were?
0: Pride. Pride, what we all struggle with. Um, I think also being a a really independent um, woman. That is one thing that I will say my parents did very well. They wanted me to be independent and they raised an independent girl. Um, But I think that was one of the greatest lessons that God was trying to teach me during that period of time that it was okay to lean on other people, that I didn't have to do it all on my own, and that his love was abundant if I would just allow myself to receive it. And I still struggle with being able to receive his love, even today and the work that I do and the ability to to impact lives in the way that he's allowed me to do that, it's hard to receive his love. and that's where I find myself failing forward and trying to be more intentional every day about opening myself up to receive whatever version of love he wants to give me for that day.
1: I want to hear different versions of love because I'm sure people are like, what is that? What What do those <laughs> versions look like? Because I think they can be very small mm-hmm. and they
0: can be very big. Yeah. So I love that you say that because when I first started to think about this and I've really been thinking about it in in great measure within the last eight weeks. Um, initially, I thought it just needed to be some big grand gesture, you know, sort of kind of what we think about when we're in relationships with someone, you know, the yes. f- dozen roses or the the big proposal or the a- incredible gift. And what God has just shown me daily is that it's in the little things, whether it's a smile of a student or the door that's being held open at the coffee shop when I go in in the morning, or maybe it's just the way that the barista makes the latte with care and love and and excitement to be doing what he or she really wants to be doing that morning. Sometimes it's somebody telling me, look, you're a hot mess today. What do you need help with? Some days it's someone giving me something tangible like a flower or a book. Some days it's someone just reciting a prayer for me and letting me know that they're praying for me. And some days it's distrusting that where I am is much better than where I've been. Yes. And that where I will go will be much better than where I am at the moment. That's a gift of hope. It is, and hope is wrapped up in love.
1: Hope is wrapped up in love. I love that. It has to be. So, listeners, this is gonna shock the hell out of you. And I think, Siobhan, you know this. Years ago, I had thought about becoming a nun. I literally, <laughs> yeah. I literally fucking thought about becoming a nun. <laughs> Pardon my French. And, cause I thought it was what I was supposed to do, right? Grew up in a Catholic family, right, okay. And I met some incredible women who Mm -hmm. had an insane prayer life and such a great relationship with God. When I talk to you, I feel like you're some of these nuns who have this (laughs) great relationship with God. Like
0: he's like your best friend, man. You know, it's funny that you say that. Um, I take that as a compliment. Thank you. But it is because I thought these women were so beautiful what has really been the catalyst for me trying to develop the relationship that I have had with God and anyone can have a robust, deep, wonderful relationship with him. That's the beautiful thing about our creator and God. They
1: were just people. They were just people that I had never seen such an intensity. Sure. And so that's, that's my model. Well, I think for me,
0: what where that stems from is when I fully committed my life to Christ six, seven years ago, I I came to him and it, my experience with him was, happened in a very physical way. I had a very physical encounter with him uh, at a retreat. and um, when I, was I left with you
1: with, I Yes, was with you. At, when you were with me.
0: Yeah. And yeah. when I left that retreat, it was so important for me to be able to build a relationship with him. I was coming out of a relationship with someone I thought I was going to marry and who I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I was really, you know, willing to sacrifice so much for. And I just remember in, in committing myself to, to Christ, at that moment, I I remember thinking, now it's time to date him. So, through dating God, I'll get to know myself better. And I remember making the commitment to just spend a year getting to know God. It was just a year of getting to know him. And at the end of that year, I said, God, I don't think I want to date anyone. I think I want to get to know you another year. And so then I spent (laughs) another year getting to know him. And then at the end of that second year, I said, I think I'm ready to date again. And can I God? And he said, no, I think you have a little bit more learning to do. And so it's really just been using that time that I would have spent trying to find a mate to use this time to develop a relationship with God and trust that through that, hopefully at some point in time, he will bring me my mate. And so that's really how I've gotten to know him is just being intentional about Friday evenings or Saturday morning coffee dates. that I spend that time with him. Um, and that's how we've just developed that consciousness. So question,
1: did you ever when you were getting to know and I'm going to use the pronoun him, did you ever consider him could be a her? Did you ever go down that track at all? I did. I've talked to some people who have said I could relate more when I made, when my higher power was more of a feminine versus a masculine and so I just was curious if you.
0: I didn't had thought
1: had you more associated with the hymn.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty, it's just pretty automatic too. I'm sure that has to do with some of the conditioning that I've had and my experience in the church and how I read scripture, but I've always seen God right. as a hymn, yeah. Right, Oh, right.
1: well, scripture would do that too. So for listeners here who maybe, it doesn't matter what faith they have, how what are like the two or three things, and I love the dates, Two or three things that you would suggest to build that relationship with a higher power?
0: I would say it's just essential just to have quiet time um, to connect with the spirit that's in you um, and to connect with that that is around you. I think the gift of, for me, of being able to spend such qual- so, so much quality time with God has been in the silence in the stillness. I have a mind that moves a thousand miles a minute. I can have anxiety out the wazoo if I'm not careful, but it's always been those moments where I've stilled myself or he has stilled me that has allowed me to have conversation, to have thoughts, to have things to come up that need to be processed uh, through the lens of faith and relationship. Um, Our world moves us quickly and we'll get caught up in that that rat race. And so I think by being able to pull ourselves back and to go off into a quiet place and to be, um, is key to being able to develop that relationship.
1: And when you were in prayer and and you said, I think I'm ready to date. And he said, no, wait a year. How do you resolve a need that you have? And then a possible required desire? you know, what if God is telling you something else? Like, I always struggled with that because, like I told you, the nun thing. I literally was like, this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it. Like, literally, it will make me so happy, but I'm unhappy. But I'm like, I have to do this. And do you think that God gives you desire, or how do you
0: figure those things out? Yeah, his word says that he will fulfill the desires of our heart, that he gives those to us. So I do believe that the desires that we have are... God-given, and that he knows us well. I think the greatest challenge that we have as human beings is being able to manage our expectations and our timeline around the fulfillment of the desires that we have. And I think that's where the trust piece comes in. You know, I had a pastor tell me, you just gotta trust in the slow work of God. And it's so true, you gotta trust in the slow work of God. Sometimes he will work very fast if he wants to. Right. And other times he is trying to make us better people by having us wait. And, um, you know, as a single woman, yes, I'm still waiting for desires to be filled. And some days that's harder than others, uh, to manage and right. to deal with. But I think what has been the key to my success in being able to withstand that, um, and to stay hopeful, has been in being able to have just true, honest conversations with him. To be able to say, look, I'm angry with you about this. I don't understand why you're making me wait. I don't understand why this didn't work out in the past. Um, And I need you to know that I'm mad at you right now and I don't wanna talk to you. Or (laughs) I'm mad at you (laughs) and I really need you to show me a sign. Um, Just really being able to be fully and authentically yourself with him has been a gift. And I think that's the joy about being in relationship with him is that you can let him know how you feel because he already knows. We forget that he already knows what's going on. He sees us, he's made us, he knows what his plans are for us, which are good and not to harm. Um, So trusting in his providence, his omniscience, his omnipotence is super important to being able to manage our quick desires that we want to come to life with his methodical, intentional focus work on getting us to be better people. Gift isn't for us to have things. Of course, I think he wants us to have things. He gives us wonderful material things and people, but ultimately God wants our hearts to look different. And he uses so many different things to transform the nature of our heart so that we can bear more fruit.
1: Yes. Here's my last question. You and I talked about this a little bit. How does love stop you from failing forward or can love actually help you fail forward? Oh, it's such a good question. I know. And you came up with it. So I'm going to give you all.
0: (laughs) I did come. I came up with that.
1: Yes. That's what you wrote to me. Well, Attributes. Is that the right word? Did I say the right word
0: there? Yeah. Accolades. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Accolades.
0: <laughs> well, I think love keeps me from failing forward because when I'm able to receive it, it wrangles my heart back to the reality of who I am and the reality of who God is. And that's really important because when i lose sight of who i am and when i lose sight most importantly of who he is the the doubt takes completely over and it can put you in places of darkness and disbelief and negativity and frustration to the point where your heart just gets so icky um
1: that's a really good technical term just really icky what is what (laughs) Wouldn't that be though, just failing? And then love is what helps you fail forward, right? Love is what gives you back the hope and the resilience and the learning.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, sorry. when, When your heart's a mess, love wrangles you back. It pulls you back to what's true, right? And that truth, allows you to be able to move forward in hope. Um, Got it. But if you don't, if you don't receive the love, then you don't allow it to bring you back to the truth. It gets icky, it gets messy, but there's also beauty and mess too.
1: Right, there is beauty and mess. However though, when I think when love is shut off love for self, love for others, receiving love from people, for me at least, it can it, it's easy to fall into that habit. And until I ask for help, which I tend to do from a higher power for me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I can't get out of the ickiness.
0: Yeah, it's hard. And that's, that's that Mm -hmm. piece of surrender, right? Where you realize Uh, that you can't do it.
1: (laughs) One hundred percent, maybe similar to the eating disorder with, for you. And for me, it would be drinking. Mm -hmm. Like I have to surrender that.
0: I cannot control that. Completely. Can't, can't do it. And for other people, you know, the thing that you might need to surrender is people pleasing, or it might be, you know, managing your right. anger, or it could be that you spend money all the time and you don't Save. say like, it can be so many different things, but oh, surrender yeah. is critical. And, and just remembering where you are and who you are and whose you are in the midst of all of it. You know, I think, um, I think what I'm coming to learn is that God wants to heal us, that it's his love that allows us to be healed. And when you think about so many of the questions that Jesus asked people in scripture, do you want to be healed? I never really thought about that until yeah. seven or eight months ago. I thought, why does he keep asking people that? Well, he's asking people that because it's an, it's a it's a question, it's a heart check. Because the heart, checking the heart allows us then to choose to receive what he's going to offer. But if we don't want to heal, then we can't offer, we can't receive his love. And so ultimately we know that we're broken people, but his love is what heals us. And we have to be open and willing to receive that love and be willing to heal with it. And that love again, comes in many forms in many ways and through many people and through many things. And so I think for me, my ultimate goal continues to be what Jesus said, love God with all my heart and all my soul and love others as much as I love myself. And so if I'm able to love him and love others, then I believe that the wounds of my spirit will be healed and hopefully I will continue to look more and more like him each day. I want his heart. I want his heart. And I want to be able to be that vessel of his love to others. And I want to be able to receive the same from other people.
1: I think your students are so lucky. Thanks, Sarah. I think your students are so lucky. Your love. Thank you for being on here today. It's been like, I was looking forward to it since we were texting. <laughs> Me too. And uh, listeners, if you want to see an incredible school model, check out DePaul Christo Ray. It's not just in Cincinnati, there are multiple locations, right?
0: Around the country, 38 schools like us in the Christo Ray network.
1: Yeah. And we actually have one of Siobhan's students. She's an intern for us right now, and she's amazing. So
0: thank you, my friend, for being on today. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy, Sarah.
1: (laughs) Okay, wonderful. You know what I wanted to tell you? What? You give so much to others. I cannot, I know he's working on you receiving. (laughs) Yes, he is. Like, girl, I wanted to tell you so many times, like, just keep opening up that heart. Open up that heart. Open up that heart. Open up that heart. heart. Because you're a give, give, give. Yeah. 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 And I do love the fact that you were like, no, I'm not moving back to Cincinnati, even though I'm basically dying.
0: (laughs) That's exactly it. (laughs) I know. But that's like, that was that piece of where I wouldn't have been if I had moved back not being able to move back was my inability to receive love.
1: I I know, you know, know. like I just, yes, I totally know. Yeah. That's
0: what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're back now. I'm back now. And he is teaching me how to love in different ways. And he's teaching me how to receive love, which can be really hard when you lead an organization, you know, when you're expected to do so much. Yeah. Yeah. And he's showing me that I actually do enjoy receiving it. And that was something I could not acknowledge for a long time that I, that I, one, was worthy enough to receive it. And two, that I actually enjoyed it because I'm so serious. I'm such a serious person.
1: (laughs) Yes, but you're, you can have the giggles too. Where did that come from? Which part? The more of a challenge receiving, was that modeled
0: for you? Was that, where did that come from? Are you just more cerebral? I think it was a blend of my personality, but I also think it was the way that race and race and gender intersected in my life. So as an African-American woman, you're always working against a stereotype that does not reflect you well. And so I think mm-hmm. for me, the push and the focus on academics and trying to be the exact opposite of that stereotype um, put me in an independent woman kind of piece. And yeah. culture culture bolstered that up for me generationally. I'm the Beyonce generation, right? So all That's about independent exactly women.
1: Literally, that was the song in my in my head.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think for me, trying to work through that, trying to fight stereotypes trying to be liked enough to be able to get access to and opportunities to do things that many would have said, I'm not, I don't have access to and shouldn't have access to really drove the need to do, 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 and to not receive Mm -hmm. because I had, Mm -hmm. I always had to prove my worth. Prove that I was good enough, prove that I was lovable, prove that I was smart, prove that I could do the work that you were asking me to do because the stereotypes would tell you that I couldn't. And so I bought into that narrative. And now as a woman, God has really spent the last six years in earnest helping me rewrite that. And that was, I mean, that was also a big part of the eating disorder too. I
1: was, I was going to say that too.
0: Yeah. Not
1: skinny enough or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Would you be okay if we left this in, it's kind of an outtake, but yeah, really had some amazing. I'm okay with that. Okay. Listeners. We're actually going to say goodbye one more
0: time. (laughs) Okay. Bye. I love you. Bye. Thank you.
1: I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.